Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the former military ombudsman gives testimony that directly contradicts the defense minister. I did tell the minister what the allegation was. I reached into my pocket to show him the evidence I was holding and he pushed back from the table, said no, and I don't think we exchanged another word. I did offer to shake his hand at the end of the meeting and said, please, do get back to me with some advice to tell me what I should do with it. That's how it ended. Aaron O'Toole says a Conservative MP's call for an end to COVID-19 restrictions is counterproductive. Lockdowns by their nature are a threat to mental health. The animal kingdom is limited to hunting, eating, mating, and search for shelter. That's not so with us human beings. And the Prime Minister says China invented the charges against the two Michaels. It is obvious uh, that the two Michaels were arrested on trumped-up national security charges days after we fulfilled our uh, extradition treaty responsibilities towards uh, towards uh, our, uh, our ally, the United States. It's Thursday, March the 4th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by National Post columnist John Iveson. John, thank you for being with us. Morning, Mark. Yesterday, the former military ombudsman testifying before the Defence Committee that's looking into allegations against the former Chief of the Defence Staff, General Jonathan Vance, contradicted Defence Minister Harjit Sajjan in terms of when he told Sajjan that allegations had come to light. What do you think that means? What are the potential consequences of that? Well, the background is that former military ombudsman Gary Walburn uh, said that he raised these allegations of inappropriate behaviour by Jonathan Vance in a 2018 meeting. But Sajun refused to see the evidence and, and then passed the whole issue on to the Privy Council office. That contradicts what Sajun told the committee, apparently contradicts what Sajun told the committee uh, the week before, where he said that he only learned of the allegations along with everybody else when uh, Global News reported it uh, in one of their shows. That looks an awful lot like someone who's being economical with the truth with the parliamentary committee. Not just somebody, a, a government minister. Um, now, Sajan says he disagrees with some of the, the Walburn testimony, but he doesn't say which parts he disagrees with. So this is a bit of a muddle. And, you know, Sajan has, has uh, he's had nine lives in his career as, as defence minister. He's been the only defence minister under this Liberal government. Um, if you remember the controversy that followed him over his claim that he was the architect of Operation Medusa in Afghanistan three years or three or four years ago now, um, that nearly did for him. But he survived it. The, the prime minister backed him and he, and he rode out the storm. Uh, at the moment, it looks like the prime minister is, is still supporting his minister. But I think he's going to find that when, when the House returns, this is going to be something that the opposition parties go after because... But it does look like, uh, it does appear to be a pretty open and shut case of, you know, a pretty reliable witness saying one thing and the minister saying another. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about a Conservative MP who has suggested that uh, we should end the restrictions associated with the pandemic. Aaron O'Toole, the Conservative leader, has already said this is counterproductive. Uh, is this another case where the Conservative leader is having to rein in? A member of his caucus. Well, he can. I mean, MPs are still allowed to say what they what they believe, and obviously, David Sweet, the Ontario MP, uh, believes that the pandemic is causing the restrictions are causing psychological and economic damage. Um, 
Sweet was uh, himself the centre of controversy earlier this year when when he took part in non-essential travel um, and he had to step down from his seat at, as uh, chair of, the, of a House of Commons committee. <clears throat> He's not seeking re-election. So, so the really, you know, when you're in opposition, there's not much you can do to discipline members who speak speak out on on some of these matters. It might not be helpful to the overall cause, but you know, they're they're, they're still uh, allowed to, to speak their minds. And and if the, and if say the leadership disagrees with them, there's not much they can do about it. But you know, they don't have plot and posts that they can offer them. Or, or discipline that they can wield. So, right. you know, I, don't, I think this is a bit of a, a storm in a teacup. Um, you know, at, at some level, what Sweet raises is, is a legitimate question. I mean, when are restrictions going to end and what shape do they take? I mean, as people are vaccinated, do you, do you just say to them, you've been vaccinated, but, but nothing changes? I mean, I think that these are issues that the, the government and the opposition are going to have to, to grapple with. But I think the timing is not right yet. I mean, we still have these extremely contagious variants out there and, and it looks like they will become the dominant strain and, and it's entirely possible we have uh, another large wave of, of infection. So I think um, this minister, is, this uh, MP is premature in what he's saying, but you know, he, I, I think he has the right to say it. And what about where we stand on vaccines? Uh, are, do you feel like, uh, especially with the news that there can be a four-month period between the two vaccinations, the two doses, uh, and how that might affect the timetable for uh, Canadians to get vaccinated, uh, do you feel that that's, that's starting to turn the tide a little bit on this, this uh, story? Well, it is, but I think the, the, um, there is going to be increasing pressure because of what's happening in the U.S., I mean, uh, President Biden saying that every every adult will be vaccinated by the end of May, and we're still saying uh, every adult vaccinated by the end of September. Now, I think the September deadline is a very conservative one, given what what we're seeing. I mean, AstraZeneca vaccines started arriving yesterday. I think there will be other vaccines that are approved. So that's uh, that, and and now we have a, a, the news that you can. Um, delay up to four months for the second dose. So that will allow more people to get at least their first dose. So I think our September uh, deadline is probably going to be brought forward. I don't blame the Prime Minister for not specifically saying that because, you know, clearly we've seen supply disruptions to this point. It's It, it would be foolish to say, oh, yeah, everybody will get vaccinated by the end of June. And then it turns out there's some unforeseen problem in vaccine supply, means it's September. But I do think that uh, if the U.S. is done by May, then there's going to be extreme discontent in the land, uh, particularly among, as I mentioned, the people who get vaccinated, and yet the restrictions remain. So I think that uh, that it's a very changing uh, scenario that we're seeing, very fluid scenario, and that the government is really going to have to double down on efforts to get it. most adults vaccinated by the end of June or see people try to go to the States to get to, I mean, I'm sure they're going to be for sale in the States if, if there's spare vaccines. So, right. um, you know, this is going to be a, an ongoing story. And, um, you know, I think the September deadline is really not tenable. All right, let's talk about uh, what the Prime Minister said yesterday regarding China's detention of Michael Spavor and Michael Kovrig. Uh, he said that, 
China invented the charges. Uh, and what do you think this means about where we stand in the efforts to get the release of the two Michaels and how chi- how Canada is managing this relationship with China? Well, this was uh, this comment from the Prime Minister was in response to a briefing with the uh, Chinese ambassador in Ottawa, uh, Kong Pei Wu, um, with a select group of journalists yesterday. I say select. I don't mean to suggest that there were... Uh, I was on it, so it doesn't mean to suggest that there were um, an elite group of journalists, but there was only a few of us on it. Um, and it was a very uh, intriguing call. Trudeau's response suggests to me that uh, things are not going well because he took a pretty tough line. And I think that that also reflects the fact that uh, he knows that the Biden administration is with him on this. But saying that... Um, you know, he's not taking the ambassador's version because he knows that these were trumped up national security charges is a tougher line than perhaps he has taken before. And I think it shows his exasperation. But frankly, uh, given the briefing that the, that the ambassador gave, who could not be exasperated? Because, you know, on Madame Wang and the two Michaels, again, it's the usual line. There is no connection between these cases when clearly there is. Uh, on Xinjiang and the, and the uh, Uyghur population, the ambassador says there's nothing to see here. Most of the, uh, the Uyghur population is is uh, is living safe and happy lives in Xinjiang. The detention centres that the the uh, satellite images show are local schools. Uh, you know, there is it was just such an Orwellian feel to the to the briefing and the rhetoric coming out of China. It's it's, it seems that we, it's very hard to do business with, with uh, the Chinese Communist Party. We're just, there's no point of contact. We, we, there's no area we can have a conversation around because, you know, this is a government that says that, uh, you know, it's, just, it's double think that uh, peace is war and, and uh, slavery doesn't exist. Right. Um, I, so I think that for a, period, for a period of time, there was a sense that there might be a breakthrough if the U.S. dropped the extradition charges. The message the Chinese seem to be sending is that even if the Wang case, uh, the, the main case is solved, it's not connected to the two Michaels, and therefore there will be no progress in that. Hmm. All right, we'll see what happens, John. Thank you for sharing your thoughts on all of this today. Great, thank you. That's John Iveson of The National Post. The pandemic has had a very different course in the United States, uh, with far far, uh, greater death tolls and case counts. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the National Post, Matt Gurney argues COVID shows why Canada can't depend on its friends when the chips are down. Gurney writes, Write anything about Canadian military policy, and you'll inevitably get a reply from someone who wants to know why on earth Canada would spend a nickel on its armed forces. Don't you know the Americans will protect us? And the Americans would defend Canadian territory from a foreign attack. But they do so in a time, place, and manner of their choosing. If you don't believe me, check out their comments this week about sharing vaccines with Mexico and Canada. In an editorial, the Toronto Sun argues, the most tragic aspect of the pandemic has been the toll the virus has taken on people in long-term care. The Sun writes, We were warned. The SARS epidemic of 2003 swept through long-term care facilities and the subsequent inquiry made recommendations about how to protect vulnerable seniors. They were largely ignored. 
One simple plan that would save lives is to keep the elderly living independently in their own homes as long as possible. Instead, we warehouse them, four to a room, and forget them. When this pandemic is behind us, this country must do some soul-searching about the way we treat our elders. In the Montreal Gazette, Janice Kazarowski and Claudio Del Grande call for a greater focus needed on the pandemic's collateral damage. They write, The Quebec government estimates more than 4,000 people with cancer went undiagnosed in 2020 due to a drop in screening programs. Also suffering collateral damage are patients with conditions whose diagnosis, initiation of treatment, or ongoing management was significantly disrupted. As the vaccine rollout is picking up and we are beginning to see the light at the end of the tunnel, it is imperative that we start implementing strategies to reverse some of the collateral damage. In the Globe and Mail, Gary Mason asks where the outrage is as house prices skyrocket. Mason writes, It is a phenomenon taking place to varying degrees across the country. It's almost like 2016 again, except strangely without all the anger and outrage. Foreign investors have, for the most part, been deterred from returning. But the market is no more accessible to Canada's young home buyers. Which would suggest we all think an insane housing market is just fine, as long as it's homegrown Canadians and domestic monetary policy that are responsible for it. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. The Prime Minister will meet virtually today with the leadership of Nova Bus, a North American transit bus manufacturer located in Saint-Eustache, Quebec, and TransLink, Metro Vancouver's transportation network. He will then be joined by Minister of Digital Government Joyce Murray, and they will virtually meet with researchers and scientists from the University of British Columbia to discuss the Cancer Single Cell Dynamics Observatory project. Public Safety Minister Bill Blair will speak with the media after a virtual roundtable meeting on firearms and intimate partner violence in Kitchener-Waterloo, Ontario. Infrastructure Minister Catherine McKenna and Innovation Minister François-Philippe Champagne will make an announcement in Ottawa. Minister Champagne will also hold a news conference about assistance from Canada Economic Development for Quebec regions for Annex Air and Biotechnologies, Ulysses. Environment Minister Jonathan Wilkinson will hold a virtual news conference following the Powering Pass Coal Alliance Global Summit. And Small Business Minister Mary Ng will speak about support for women-led businesses and women entrepreneurs at the virtual Strike Up 2021 conference. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Thursday, March the 4th. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.